you know, we're professionals around here. Uh, we like to start things off with definitions. So Webster's says, psych. <laughs> you know, we don't use Webster's. We use Urban Dictionary <laughs> or Urban Planners, okay? <laughs> and I'm hip to all the lingo, okay? I know, sh- I know what shade is. I'm Jordan. And I'm AJ. You're listening to We Built It That Way, a show about how we shape the places we live and how they shape us, our behaviors, our relationships, our opportunities, and our imagination. Webster's Urban Dictionary says, shade is acting in a casual or disrespectful manner towards someone or dissing a friend. Webster's doesn't say that. Webster's Urban Dictionary. Oh, my gosh. Is that not what it's called? I didn't think so, but I could be wrong. But I'm here to say that Urban Dictionary, you've got it wrong this time. Shade is rad. Shade is cool. Shade is good. And uh, that's what we're here to talk about today. So, AJ, um, one of the things that... I started noticing when I moved to Texas, this is not a Texas-centric podcast, but we do both live in Texas, so we'll talk about Texas from time to time, was the utter lack of shade trees or really shade at all Yep. when I came here and how blisteringly hot it can get without any shade. And even when like people take you to the cool part of town, they're like, look at our main street. I'm like, all I can think about is how hot it is that there's no shade. Yep. The great irony of Texas cities and and other states as well, I suspect, is that we tend to hear things in city circles, meetings, such as city council meetings, things like that. We hear people say things like, people in Texas don't use sidewalks, Hmm. or nobody walks anywhere anymore, Mm -hmm. or we don't need transit, nobody's riding the bus. And I always have to think to myself, well, you know, if it's 110 degrees in the shade Uh and there is no shade, (laughs) why would I do any of those things? You've made it so uncomfortable for me to do any of those things. It's a hostile environment. Like, why do we think that people just have an attitude and don't want to use those things? No, they they want to be comfortable. Yeah. Says tomorrow's going to be hotter. Hotter? Like yesterday. Yesterday. Yesterday you said you'd call Sears. And if it's 110 degrees in the shade, then it might actually be like 140 degrees outside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in which case, the shade is a great place to be. But yeah, there's there's a lot of connections between um, the automobile. All of these shows, I feel like, are going to somehow come back to, to the car and car culture and car dominance. But we're really going to try to <laughs> keep as much of the focus on shade here as we can. And this seemed to me like a pretty straightforward topic. But uh, once you dig into it a little bit more, it's it's actually pretty complicated. I don't think it has to be complicated. It's just become complicated. And I think one of the reasons it's become complicated is because this has been something that has not been discussed for so long. Yeah. That you're dealing with so many urbanized environments and small communities where you're now having to try to retroactively find ways to bring in shade and that provides lots of excuses and arguments for, for that to not happen. Exactly. We think that, you know, building a complete neighborhood means building a neighborhood with sidewalks or means building a neighborhood with adequate lighting. 
why don't we think that a complete neighborhood also includes elements of shade so that people can actually enjoy the outdoor environment? I mean, exactly. Shade, in my opinion, and I think it should emerge over the course of this show, is that I think we should think of shade as essential infrastructure in our cities, especially as they're not getting any colder. And uh, the effects of of heat plus direct sunlight are only getting worse. Uh, heat deaths are the most common extreme weather-related deaths. That's not going to like slow down as our cities get hotter. And actually, before we go on, maybe we should just take a minute and, and discuss why the concept of shade is so important and getting more important. So I found this Nat Geo article that's National Geographic for uh, people in the know uh, from a couple of years ago. And it was highlighting a recent study that had come out about off-the-charts heat conditions that are going to be mm-hmm. occurring over the, the remainder of this century. The National Weather Service has uh, a heat index chart that goes up to 127 degrees. That's like the feels-like temperature. And we uh, eventually are going to start seeing conditions that go literally off their charts. And uh, we'll post a link in the show notes to how many days of extreme weather you can expect in your city. <laughs> something to look Mm -hmm. forward to. But why this is really important is because heat has some pretty nasty effects on us as humans. So the heat index, right, that's that combines temperature and humidity. And if that reaches 104 degrees Fahrenheit or 40 degrees Celsius, our bodies, you know, slowly heat up to that ambient temperature and eventually they can't cool themselves down. So your cellular machinery kind of starts breaking down. That's very bad. And what happens is that we get uh, exhausted and lethargic and confused and we're thirsty, but we don't realize it. I saw this described in one of the articles that we read for this as the opposite of a panic attack. And so blood gets pumped to your skin and that cools it. And that just puts your brain into this like hibernation mode. So that's why heat is bad. That's why being alone during heat waves often kills people because they don't have someone to see what's happening. And ultimately, that's just heat. But if you combine heat with the energy from the sun, the solar radiation, it just compounds that. It does. And then take into account the lack of shade, the combination of the huge swaths of asphalt and concrete that we have in our cities, the well-known phenomenon known as the urban heat island effect. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we start to see that in many cases, it's not a stretch to say that it's actually dangerous to try to get around your city without a vehicle. Yeah, it's not a stretch at all. And I think we have to think about it as a barrier to access. When I go on a walk in the five months of the year in Texas, that it's just scorching. I kind of think, you know, that game that like you played as kids where like the floor is lava Mm -hmm. and I look at the block ahead of me and see the parts where it's sunny or shady and I'll zigzag back and forth. And I'm kind of like making a little map in my head of the places that are going to feel like I'm walking through lava. And I mean, I can go for walks for hours, even if it's hot in the shade, but I can go for like five minutes if it's a hundred degrees and I'm in the sun. Right. Right. One of these articles talked about how we don't feel like ourselves when Mm -hmm. we're hot. That's true. You know, it's interesting. I um, had read a a study that was done by a climate scientist at Arizona State University, um, Ariane Medell, and she actually had a radiometer 
on a garden cart and she dragged it around campus and was recording temperatures in different places. But while she did it, she was interviewing students and asking them about how they, how they currently felt. And what she learned was that, you know, it really had nothing to do with the, the wind speed, the levels of humidity, the air temperature. None of that was really a, something that was noted as a reason for discomfort. It was all about the lack of shade. Mm Mm-hmm. And we're starting to see this realization, but we're not seeing it across cities. We're only seeing it in in certain portions of, of communities. And here's an example of what I mean by this. There's now an emerging field, kind of subfield, if you will, of planning where people are looking at schools and creating yeah. these master plans for shade because there's such concerns about children being outside on the playgrounds and areas that are unshaded. There are different organizations such as the uh, the Association for American Dermatology, for example, where they're actually giving grant money to schools to help build shade in these locations because the effects on the health and condition of people's skin is something that's coming up. Mm-hmm. So we're having some discussions about it, but that discussion still has not made it into the way that we actually plan our cities, which is troubling. Yeah. Yeah, I mean this is a this is a legitimate public health crisis and I think we need to treat it like that. Right now we're still considering shade. It's like an add-on you get if you're like an amenity of sorts. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you're in the right part of town and we will talk about this shortly, but I just wanted to piggyback on the school subject. A lot of playgrounds and areas that kids just go out and hang out if you're not inside the school, a lot of them are made up of asphalt. I think that places journal piece titled Shade, which we are going to reference a lot in this, said that uh, the average Los Angeles school district grounds is 90% asphalt. I have to assume that that's probably similar to a lot of other places. And on asphalt, surface temperatures can go up to 160 degrees on a hot day. And then they just continue to put heat out throughout the rest of the day and the night. So like you're putting your children into a setting where Things are as hot as when you leave your oven on warm, which is just terrifying. And that's just the heat. That's not even taking into account the solar rays hitting you. So you're you know, getting a double whammy in those conditions. Hi, I'm Kurt Delbeck. I'm a dentist and I'm running for city council because somebody has got to stand up for sunshine. This November, vote for Kurt Dilbeck, the only candidate willing to get tough on trees. Kurt believes people moved to this city for sunshine. Our town's forefathers called this place Sunnydale. They didn't call it Shadydale. Kurt stands for safety. My parents taught me from a young age that safety comes down to keeping your eyes peeled and never letting a fellow sneak up behind you. I say, if you got nothing to hide, you should have no problem with a little sunlight. Kurt believes sunshine is medicine. I believe that sunshine is medicine. Kurt believes trees are a symbol of weakness. Tree huggers. Have you heard of them? Nobody likes them. If you really think about it. Trees throughout history have always been causing mischief. It all started with the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Trees had their day, sure, but then we invented the indoors, so we wouldn't need them. I'm Kurt Delbeck, and I'm running for city council, District 6. Vote for me and I won't let you down. I do have other ideas, but we ran out of time with this ad slot. Paid for by Kurt Delbeck for District 6. Okay, so we are going to talk pretty soon about some of the sociological, behavioral effects of not having shade anywhere, what that 
how that informs how we go about our life in in cities. But before we do that, let's maybe just spend a few minutes talking about what are some of the barriers to having shade. And I think maybe we can also talk about some of the sources of shade. Maybe this seems obvious, but... I think, you know, one thing that we have to make the point of in this podcast is talking about the... Um, ability to think about shade in different ways. You know, a lot of times we have these self-created issues within our communities that simply come from just not being creative enough. And I think this is one of those areas because one of the first things that you'll hear when you're talking with people about the subject of shade is how harmful and devastating trees can be to utilities and things of that nature, which Mm -hmm. is probably a whole nother podcast episode in itself. But what I find interesting about this is we always assume that shade has to come from a natural source. And while I think it is obviously optimal for that to be the case, that is too often a barrier, as you said, to not getting shade in areas that need it. Because there are plenty of other man-made approaches to shade that can help solve this problem. For example, when we talk about things like design standards in cities, you know, more and more we're seeing cities that, that don't address that or are very, very loose in the way they address that. And you end up with these buildings with facades that are entirely flat. We don't design for overhangs. We don't design places for people to congregate mm-hmm. or to have cover before they enter a building. There are all kinds of great, you know, technology and advancements in the types of materials that you can use to create shade, whether that's actually fabric Mm -hmm. um, or whether that's some other man-made material. And so, you know, that's, that's kind of my pet peeve there is I think we just don't make it a priority. And we assume that if there's not a presence of trees and trees are oh so problematic, then, oh, well, right. We can't solve this problem. (laughs) Trees do have, you know, the great feature that they also cool the air, right? Because they take up water and then release it as it's, as temperatures rise and that, that cools the air too, which is great. But yeah, like shade in, in a lot of our cities and towns is kind of accidental rather than, you know, it could be very intentional. And one of the things that you learn in planning school at some point is about the Spanish law of the Indies, um, where when the Spanish were colonizing and decimating the uh, native populations all over the world, they would at least have like a grid that was on a 45 degree angle and would make use of the solar patterns and use the buildings for shade. Some places in Southern Europe have really narrow streets and relatively tall buildings that made it so that the buildings were intentionally providing shade most of the day. But in a lot of our places, it's like, well... <laughs> If you're on the right side of the building at the right side of the day, you'll get a little shade maybe. Right. W- without much thought, yeah. right? And it, and if they're all 100 feet apart, then you're, you're kind of not getting a lot of the benefits. There's a lot of lava between those spots of shade. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. You know, I think too, we always, you know, take the example of a park, for example, which is the, the consummate outdoor space that we all think about. Mm-hmm. And there's this assumption that everything, you know, it's a park, it's open air. And the creation and incorporation of plants and shade structures really doesn't eliminate that. And it's not competing with it. It's it's actually Mm -hmm. just adding something to it. And as you, you know, have already kind of alluded to, 
in the right situations with the right characteristics, somehow we're motivated to provide that shade. Right. But I think, you know, when we're talking about this, as you mentioned, you know, from a planning perspective, there's some cities that do this really well. And I think some of those cities have done it out of necessity. And so there's some really good examples that we can all draw from. No one's having to reinvent mm-hmm. the wheel here. Let's be honest. I think a great example is is Phoenix, Arizona. Um, I remember going there for a conference and was staying downtown and and walked everywhere in the middle of August. And I wasn't really looking forward to it, to be honest. But I was so impressed with the way that they have utilized xeriscaping creatively along their streets, but also used it to provide shade in combination with man-made structures. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's so many studies out there and articles that you can read about this, but some of the ones that I looked at talked about how underneath those uh, tree canopied streets or, you know, whatever the man-made material is that you're using for shade, it, it can change the temperature that you're feeling underneath those structures and trees by as much as 15 or 20 degrees. I mean, that's huge. Mm-hmm. Why are we not more excited about this prospect? Well, I think it's we're going to be forced to. I think the the past summer has given us an indication that no matter where you are, you're not going to be exempt from extreme heat. We had temperatures like close to 120 degrees Fahrenheit in Canada just a few months ago. So Dr. V. Kelly Turner, who's a director of urban environment, research at UCLA. She has done a lot of research on extreme heat in the urban setting. One thing she talks about is the mean uh, radiant temperature, which is kind of this composite indicator, including temperature, solar radiation, humidity, and all of these things. And it's really aiming to get to an understanding of how humans on the ground experience heat rather than just kind of like a dumb I don't mean that pejoratively, but like a dumb metric, like um, a heat map, just a heat. Yeah, like just a heat map that look at like reflectivity. But she was talking about how there's kind of a hierarchy of what provides the, the most like cooling effects. Mm-hmm. The shade from buildings is the most uh, followed by trees and then followed by like that kind of fabric mm-hmm. that you might see on playgrounds and whatnot. But one of the things that she stresses is that when we think about heat in cities and the urban heat island effect, we can't think about reflectiveness of surfaces, right? You hear that like, oh, this is a cool pavement. It, it reflects the mm-hmm. sun. It's, it's painted white or it's already white to begin with. Using white roofs is supposed to be able to be good for cooling down buildings um, or even green roofs. But that's the kind of thing that doesn't necessarily create a cool environment on the ground. And she said that, you know, we have to think of shade like a sort of preventive measure. So on mm-hmm. the on the one hand, it doesn't let the heat from the sun hit the surface around us and bounce back up to us. And for two, um, you know, we're not getting the direct hit from it. So we can kind of ameliorate a lot of the worst effects by just getting shade. What a concept. Yeah. And, the, you know, cities like L.A. are taking approaches that are supposed to kind of green the city and make it um, reduce mm-hmm. the heat island effect. But one of the things is like they're finding out that you can't just plant trees everywhere, even though you would like to, because you run up against the fact that different places have different levels of infrastructure quality and and then care and maintenance over time. And so places where you have really wide parkways, you can plant them. But a lot of poorer neighborhoods have a lot less 
conducive infrastructure to just plop a tree in and hope that it grows. And I don't know if you want to you want to get into that, but a lot of work has been done highlighting that there are far more street trees in historically rich neighborhoods than in historically not just poor, but redlined neighborhoods. And in a lot of cities, it's kind of your responsibility to maintain the tree that may be out in front of your house. Um, mm-hmm. And if you don't have, even though that's public right of way, it's the prerogative of the person living there to pay for it. And if you have a land absentee yeah. landlord, they might not do that. <laughs> yeah, there, there's some complications there. I mean, I, I push back on some of that a little bit just because we have advanced in so many ways when it comes to, you know, horticulture. I mean, there's, Mm -hmm. there are a number of uh, tree types now that have been tweaked to help deal with that problem of uh, essentially really wide root growth. That's harmful to utilities Mm -hmm. um, that are sort of bred, if you will, for placement in rights of way. So we have some options there that we didn't have before, but I also think, in addition to that, we have to understand the motivations that led to certain neighborhoods having those in the first place. Because mm-hmm. let's be honest, people back then were not sitting around talking about shade. But what they were talking about was creating these grand neighborhoods that were very attractive. So, I mean, there's mm-hmm. an underlying commentary there that could be made just about care of how a place looks in certain areas versus the other. And that's, you know, not for today's discussion, but they're intertwined. One other thing about trees, while we're here, trees are are great sources of shade, but if you kind of, if you don't do them right, if you're not forward thinking enough, they can come back to bite you. Uh, One of the things that we probably talk a lot about is our kind of approach to doing a lot of things in a monoculture fashion. So we do that with agriculture Mm -hmm. and we do that with residential and retail and all this stuff. Well, we have done it a lot with street trees. And so like you'd have cities planting rows and rows of, of elms or ashes, which are pretty, but, and uniform. And we seem to like that. But if you have a disease or a pest come along, they can just wipe it all out Mm -hmm. as happened with both elms and ashes in a lot of cities and so w- one strategy is to mix up the species and uh, family and genus types so that you are a little bit more resilient in the face of pests and disease. So, so it's possible. A little surprising way that you, <laughs> your city the may have lost you know. a lot of a lot of canopy cover since the 70s. For sure. Or, or earlier. Now a message from the Department of Public Works. Today is the first day of May, which means it's officially summer for the next seven months. Temperatures are expected to just keep on climbing, so here are a few tips to stay cool. Remember to wear shiny clothing, and take umbrellas if you can't handle the sheer oppression of the sun's unfiltered rays. If you have kids, you can make being outside a fun kind of game. Pretend you're an astronaut and you're stranded outside the spaceship, and your oxygen was cut off. Make it back inside before your organs shut down. Also, keep in mind we have beefed up our code enforcement budget this year and will be personally handing out sizable fines for any compliance issues. That means shade structures, street tree plantings, and so on. Safety first. You want to help us out? Report your neighbor's violations for a free Amazon gift card. 
Remember, it's hot out there. Staying safe, that's on you. Sometimes we create our own barriers, and I know we'll say this in so many episodes on so many subjects, but we create our own barriers sometimes with regulations. I remember reading an article when we were getting ready for this, and I didn't cite it, but it it was uh, essentially a story about a gentleman that owned a store at the corner of two streets where there Mm -hmm. was a bus stop. And he noticed every day from inside his store that people, especially um, senior citizens and children, were sitting on this bus bench waiting for the bus routinely without fail, and they were baking out there in the sun. And he decided, you know, if no one else is going to do something about this, I'm going to. And so he rigged up a shade structure um, from the corner of his building to the corner of the sidewalk. Uh And he was written up for it time and time again. And he'd continue to put it back out there because his focus was on the comfort and the protection of the people using that bus stop. Whereas the focus of the city was order penalizing someone that didn't follow the regulations. And I, and I'm not (laughs) saying that regulations aren't crucial, but I think sometimes we have to ask ourselves, what's the purpose of those regulations and what are we trying to achieve? Uh I think that you'd be hard pressed to review most cities, regulations, ordinances, uh, design standards, et cetera, and find where this discussion of shade and comfort and public health was ever even entering into the equation, which, which is truly sad as we try to deal with another public health crisis of obesity, for example, Uh and we're saying people need to be more active and people need to get out there more. That's, (laughs) it's great to say that, but if we really want to see changes happen in people's day-to-day routines in our culture in our value system we have to talk about shade it really is more important than it might seem at face value yeah no doubt and there's a lot of great examples of just kind of taking whatever materials you have around and addressing the problems that you face like right where you are regardless of how up to code they are or uh, aesthetically appealing they may be, be to your neighbor or whatever and well, that stuff's awesome. <laughs> like, I love the kind of creative solutions that people come up with. You know, people facing a very clear problem in their neighborhood and their block and then dealing with it. And this is like, I think maybe a thing that we're going to come up against a lot in this show is like the kind of pointless order seeking. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to, that's a on good behalf way of to the city it. versus just like take a step back <laughs> and see. Yeah. Let's see if they're providing something useful. This makes me think of another example. And I don't know if you'll remember this, but I remember many years ago reading an article when I was still working as an entry-level planner. And it floored me because they were talking about how they were trying to prevent teenagers from causing trouble at malls. Mm -hmm. And they said the problem was the teenagers were congregating outside around the entrances to the mall. And so what they started doing is playing really loud music so that they couldn't hear each other and they couldn't socialize and they'd quit hanging out there. Mm-hmm. Well, we've heard this argument with shade some too. Mm. This whole idea of, well, we don't want people lingering. If they're comfortable, yeah. they might hang around. 
and we can't have that loitering kind of effect. And so that's yeah. another thing, you know, on the other hand, we're, we're seeing in virtually every city in America, regardless of the size, we're hearing this charge for downtown revitalization and bring people back. And we're working at cross purposes against yes. ourselves. We're wanting to bring people back. We're wanting places to feel active and interesting, but we don't want anyone hanging out too long. We don't want the wrong so, people hanging out too long. Exactly. We're happy if they're at a beer garden. You know, what what you said about loitering and removing trees and shade sources to avoid having the wrong people. That's not us like reading between the lines. That was explicitly stated in cities across the country. And that Places Journal piece has a great anecdote from LA of this very popular park. And they have a pretty complicated history with shade, but it's very illustrative. It used to be this like great kind of urban forest. And then in the 50s, they basically, they put in a parking garage underneath and took all the, the trees out because they couldn't really grow there anyway. But it wasn't just a story of, oh, you know, the dominance of the car strikes again. They were also saying explicitly, we want to remove, you know, they were afraid of what they called gay cruising. They were afraid of, uh, they said prostitution. They were afraid of loitering. And a lot of, you know, fear gets evoked a lot with, I mean, we, we think about how shade is talked about in our language. We kind of joked earlier on about throwing shade. But also a shady figure is somebody who's suspect and operates of the darkness. Mm -hmm. And over the decades, trees have been removed and shade has been removed in the name of public safety and in surveillance. And that was done in the 50s to make parks. They they literally said this. Parks should be a place for going through, not a place for lingering, which is absurd. But then this still happens in, um, in L.A. and in lots of places where the police can come in and basically say, these trees are a detriment to us surveilling this area. Our helicopters can't see people loitering, and that's a danger to, to public safety. And so they'll be removed, which is really <laughs> depressing, you know? I think sometimes urban planning and design people don't like to think about those parts of it, but something to you know, something to keep in mind. We have to. If, yeah. if we're going to do better, we have to, and be better, we have to think differently. Yeah, we do. I thought it was a good point that you made earlier about how often the pushback is like, there's not enough space for a tree here, but there are creative ways that we can put trees in what seem like pretty narrow spots. The other thing is that rights of way tend to be pretty wide, you know, 80 yes. feet in a lot of places, 50 feet, 100 feet. And we we always give enough, not just enough, but more than enough space to cars and gigantic fire trucks that need to pass each other and high five on the way, we can reconfigure the streetscape to prioritize, you know, wider sidewalks, wider planting areas with attached root zones. Mm -hmm. It's not that we don't know how to do it. It's just that we seem to be kind of unwilling to. It's inconvenient. It is. We redo streets all the time. And if we were really serious about like providing shade and addressing the public health crises of obesity, of heat and the lack of shade, like we could do it. (laughs) It's just, it's a will problem. That's very true. Okay, AJ, we've reached the end of the episode. Oh, you know what that means. (laughs) 
it feels like we only get to scratch the surface on these, but you know, you have things to do. We have things to do. So this is the time where we maybe give a little homework assignment and uh, no one submitted their homework from last week. So we don't have anyone's to grade on air. <sighs> we'll give them one more chance. <laughs> I'm sure everyone did it. They just didn't submit it. <laughs> everyone did all the reading. Well, I have an idea for homework. Yeah, let's hear it. You know how you were talking about the lava game earlier? Yeah. In all seriousness, I think that's kind of a good homework assignment. Yeah. So I play it because I walk a lot <laughs> just for leisure and to get places. And you could, on your next walk around your neighborhood or maybe on a lunch break at work, take a little walk around and see what streets and blocks feel comfortable and then, like, as a little extra credit, you could kind of take note of what are the things that make it so. Is it the building orientation? Is it that there's a lot of trees kind of forming a, a roof over the over your walkway? Um, and, and what are the parts that feel really uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. Some, something we didn't talk about is how <laughs> – I'm sorry to cut you off – is how in cities in the past few decades, there have been a lot of these glass, all glass buildings – and when I go on my walk at lunchtime or whatever in, in downtown Dallas, I'm often hit by the sun's rays Blinding twice. Blinding light. <laughs> once from the sun and once from the help of these all glass buildings, which ought to be illegal if there's not going to be shade from trees. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think this is, is kind of a fun thing you can do with, with your kids, too. Uh, kids are so observant about this stuff. You mm-hmm. know, where are there areas that you see along your, your walk that you you think that shade could even be added in and and kind of think about that a little bit. Um, I think that that'd be really helpful. And I think it'll change the way that you view the area around you a little bit. Yeah, it's like, you know, trees are always a great and obvious source of shade, but they might take a while to really produce the kind of shade that we need. So maybe think about it like what would produce amazing shade 10 or 15 or 20 years from now? What would do it today, like for people waiting by the bus stop? or walking to school because it makes it uncomfortable to go walk for leisure. But a lot of people have to walk or sit and wait in the sun just to get where they're going and, and carry out their daily chores. So, yep. And the other part of our homework is always just, uh, if you're interested in reading more about shade and heat, uh, we have compiled in the show notes, a whole, a whole mess of links to, Readings and listenings, uh, maybe viewings, who knows, for you to check out. I have one more piece of homework for our listeners. <laughs> All right. Tell somebody else about our podcast because we need more than two listeners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We want to be a little more high budget. Yeah. I mean, I'm out here shopping this thing around to businesses around town, and I really need the numbers. To have people listen to me, okay? I'm showing up to Hardee's and saying, come on, guys, give me a chance. And they're like, we're Carl's Jr. now. <laughs> and I said, good point. I should have done my homework, but still. That's why doing homework is so important, do you see? <laughs> Full circle. You can give us a review on your reviewing site of choice. But most importantly, like AJ said, please tell a friend about us. We are delightful. We are accessible. We are 
gonna be your best friends if you just give us a chance we are we built it pod on twitter and instagram so check us out there send us an idea for a topic maybe we'll cover it that's all i got for you guys this is just it's it's an honor to hang out with you (laughs) all right well uh if you're not already subscribe stay tuned for the next episode we will see you next time bye guys opening up the water tank Yep, the folks will be here soon. You going to the picnic? Uh-huh. Maybe it'll be a little cooler out of the park. I sure hope so. Cause it's gonna be another hot day. Yes, it's gonna be another hot day. That's what it said on the radio. 110 degrees. You don't say. That's what it said on the radio. Overhead, the sun is rising, not a cloud.